Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You are pleased again to draw us to Yourself and to come to us to meet with us. And we pray that that will be the case as we are gathered here together this morning. And we thank You that as we have just sung, that You, like a Father, have compassion upon us. And we are grateful that this is the case. And we pray that as we are together more and more, we will have the sense in our own hearts with regard to Your compassion and mercy and grace toward us. So be pleased, Father, to bless us as we address You as our Father and we consider ourselves Your children because You have been pleased to adopt us into Your family. We pray Your grace upon us during this hour. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. It has been a great pleasure for me to be with you on these days. Earlier on in the conference, I was informed by our director that he had a question with regard to the format and what we were doing in these lessons. You're going to go through questions and answers 1 through 38 of the Shorter Catechism, are you going to be able to accomplish that? And, uh, well, so far we've uh, come to question 34. So we're making progress. And uh, I, I guess it was uh, Pastor Hansen uh, that assured uh, Eric that... Uh, we, we would probably be able to follow through on the plan. And uh, so that's the hope uh, to continue to uh, be able to do that. Uh, I was grateful for uh, the response uh, to the sermon last night. And uh, as some will remember for a long time the eating of the daisy. And uh, I was given uh, a, a flower by one of the young people uh, this morning at breakfast to utilize during the morning class. But I think I'm going to save it. And I was also given this little heads up with regard to the sermon illustration that it's always good when individuals remember a sermon illustration. And I always taught the fellows in my preaching classes that it's helpful when uh, folks in the congregation remember the sermon illustration, but it's more helpful when people remember the reason for the sermon illustration. And unfortunately, uh, w with the little demonstration last night, uh, the, the illustration has a tendency to overpower the reason for the illustration. Uh, so the suggestion that I was given which is a helpful suggestion is uh, that those of you who are parents uh, should uh, query your children uh, with regard to the eating of the daisy and the reason for the eating of the daisy and its connection with the text of Scripture. But because that's the most important part. 
And uh, although we may remember the illustration, and I'm, I'm happy for that, uh, although we may remember the illustration, it's good to remember uh, why uh, the illustration is given. So uh, uh, just a little heads up uh, on that. Uh, this morning, uh, we are uh, in our final lesson. <sighs> and uh, uh, as I say, I'm grateful to you for uh, working with me, and uh, uh, it's been a privilege for me to uh, be with you on this occasion. In this lesson, we're looking at uh, God's glory in the good news of His benefits of redemption. And uh, we began this idea of benefits uh, yesterday uh, with the idea of adoption, uh, the benefits of uh, redemption, uh, adoption, uh, I'm sorry, uh, with justification. We began with the idea of justification. Uh, the benefits of redemption, justification, adoption, sanctification, and those uh, other benefits uh, that adhere to uh, justification, adoption, and sanctification. And uh, so we're continuing on uh, with that idea and jumping into uh, our outlines uh, with the idea of adoption and uh, uh, we'll uh, continue with our practice then of uh, going through these questions and answers uh, uh, as a responsive reading. So, uh, question 34, what is adoption? What is sanctification? What are the benefits which in this life do accompany or flow from justification, adoption, and sanctification? What benefits do believers receive from Christ at death? And then on the back page, question 38, what benefits do believers receive from Christ at the resurrection. All right, back to question and answer thirty four adoption. Uh, as in the case of justification. Adoption is an act of God's free grace. Uh, you may recall we talked about justification in, in terms of it being a legal act, a declaration on the part of God. And 
uh, adoption is also a legal act uh, in which God uh, takes us into his own family. And as the Catechism says, we are received into the number and have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. And it's not something that uh, we ourselves uh, do. Uh, we don't knock on the door and say, well, we're here and uh, it's, re- it's time for you to accept us into your family, Lord. No, uh, this is an act on the part of God in which He brings us into His family. Our oldest daughter has two adopted children and another son for whom she's the legal guardian. And two boys and a girl. And the little girl in the family came into Gail's family by way of uh, in Kansas, uh, what do I want to say? I'm losing foster care. That's right. Uh, by way of foster care in the state of Kansas, uh, the, uh, the little guy uh, Zachary uh, was brought into the family at birth, and so he was adopted at birth. Uh, and it's a very unfortunate uh, circumstance. All these cases uh, usually are uh, very uh, unfortunate. Uh, the little guy Zachary's mother was in prison and uh, was a drug addict and and as far as we know there were there were no uh, drug problems during the pregnancy and so there weren't any residual effects uh, when Zachary was born but he was adopted uh, when he was born and uh, his uh, mother subsequently died we understand of a drug overdose and we have no idea who his birth father is and uh, so there you are uh, and, and he's a lovely uh, uh, young man, and uh, 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 I, I always smile when I talk about Zach uh, because he's a little African-American guy, and uh, uh, he's the only male Pruto to carry on the Pruto name in our part of the family. So, say, what a cool thing. And, uh, 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 you know, it just warms my heart that, uh, that this is the case. Uh, uh, Isabel is uh, uh, the little girl, and, and she was brought into the family uh, by foster care. And uh, her mother tried, uh, didn't want her and tried to smother her when she was uh, very little. And uh, so, so these, these cases are very uh, unfortunate, but they're not unlike... Uh, the experience of uh, you and I who come into the family of God uh, having been uh, born again and redeemed from sin. Uh, and so there's a, a similarity, is there not? And uh, uh, people that are adopted are brought into uh, the family, uh, you see. And uh, little Issa, I, I remember very well, uh, little Issa, uh, after uh, Zach had been brought into the family, wanting to know uh, from her mother, when am I going to be adopted? 
When am I officially going to be part of the family? <laughs> she wanted to know this because she knew that uh, foster kids would come and go. And she wanted to be part of the family. She didn't want to go. And uh, this is always the case in the hearts of not only little children like this, but this is the case in the hearts of young people and men and women in the world. We all want to be part of some kind of family. And if individuals are not part of the family of God, they're going to find family somewhere else. And this is why young people very often join gangs, because the gang becomes their family. And uh, those of you who I've talked to during the course of the conference have ind indicated that, they've, uh, that you've witnessed this sort of thing uh, uh, with uh, individuals uh, joining, as it were, clubs and groups in order to be part of a particular family and to be part of something uh, greater than themselves. There's a yearning in the human heart for this to take place. And the best answer, the best answer is the gospel and men and women to be brought into the family of God. And you'll notice uh, the catechism uh, answer. Adoption is an act of God's free grace whereby we are received into the number and have a right to all the privileges, all the privileges of the sons of God or the children of God. See, those who are outside the family do not have family privileges. But those who are in the family do have family privileges. Uh, years ago, uh, when uh, my wife and I uh, attended uh, a, a little Bible church off and on, when we uh, were unable to uh, attend uh, uh, our own church, the, the pastor there would often uh, talk about the church family. And it got under my skin. <laughs> uh, uh, and I was wrong. Uh, I had to come to grips with that. I really was wrong. Because the church is a family. And we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And we need to understand that this is the case. And God has been pleased to put us in uh, respective church families so that we can love one another. And we have the privilege of having the love and the care of our uh, particular church families. Uh, what a good thing uh, this is. First uh, John 3.1 See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. John 1.12 But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. And the idea there in John 1.12 is the right to become children of God. You see, it's the legal right. Uh, this is a reference to adoption. Uh, that's the idea in John 1.12. Romans 8.17 If children then heirs. 
heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we uh, may also be glorified with Him. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Uh, After my wife and I moved to Indianapolis, uh, we decided, uh, long overdue on our part, we decided that it was time for us to uh, draw up wills uh, so that uh, uh, those wills could uh, uh, be available uh, uh, when we pass from this life. And uh, uh, we don't have a lot of property. Most pastors don't have a lot of property. Uh, but we have some property, and we, uh, we, we want that property to be pro- uh, properly uh, distributed among the family members. And uh, so we we'd had wills drawn up. And uh, so there are heirs in our own family. And this is the case. We are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. And uh, it's a wonderful thing uh, to understand uh, that we have a great inheritance that is ours in heaven. Uh, Romans 8.17, If children, uh, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may be also glorified with Him. In this life, we are filling out the suffering of the body of Christ. We are filling out the sufferings of Christ in His body. And as the body suffers, Uh, Our Lord Jesus Christ, in empathetic union with us, suffers with us, and we suffer with Him. Uh, We are closely connected uh, with our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's, again, helpful uh, for us to understand that this is the case. So we are uh, brought into right standing with God, by justification, we are brought into the family of God uh, by adoption. And then, uh, question 35, what is sanctification? Sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. You and I... uh, were caused by the work of God's grace to embark on a great journey, on a great journey that ends in heaven and in glory. And as we progress along uh, the predetermined path, God has chosen for each one of us, we are changed. We grow. And we change more and more until finally, coming to our destination in heaven, we will reach final conformity to the very image of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the interim, there are many struggles, many trials, many tests that occur. And as some have said, getting older 
is not for sissies. And those of you who are younger will understand that uh, little saying when you do get a little bit older. Uh, but uh, this life is not for sissies. Uh, we can put it this way. Because there are always challenges uh, that we have. And uh, sanctification, you see, now is not an act of God's free grace, but is the work of God's free grace. It's not an act that takes place suddenly and boom, it's completed. No, it, it, it might be nice, you would say, that if uh, a parachute dropped from heaven and boom, uh, you were totally sanctified all at once. God does not have it that way. Uh, sanctification is a lifelong project in which God is working you over. And He is working in you to change you. This is the idea. So sanctification is a work of God's free grace. And of course, you see, here's the idea of grace again. It's not incumbent upon God to do this. Uh, there's nothing uh, that constrains God to do this. Uh, there's nothing that says that God must do this. Uh, this work of sanctification that takes place over the course of your life is the work of God's free grace in you and for you. Uh, this is uh, part of the idea whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God. Now, uh, the outward person, the outward person is decaying. And uh, uh, for, I don't know, 30 years, I've, I've you know, had this little hip thing uh, that's been going on. And... Uh, 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 wearing glasses and cataracts and all this kind of stuff that comes down the road. Uh, the outward man, the outward person is decaying, but the inward person is being renewed day by day. And uh, this is what the Bible uh, teaches us. Sanctification is the work of God's free grace whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God. The standard, the standard is the image of God as we view it in Jesus Christ. And so, you and I uh, are being renewed in true knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. You and I are being renewed in true knowledge. Uh, and I said th this before. Each one of you, and I point to myself also, has a personal theology. In other words, you have a personal understanding of who God is and who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ has done. And that personal theology that you have needs to be brought more and more into conformity to the teaching of Scripture. And as that takes place, 
as your personal theology is more and more being brought into conformity to the teaching of the Word of God, you are being renewed in true knowledge. This is uh, the case. And true knowledge, holiness. You see, more and more, uh, uh, you and I need to be set aside for the purposes of God. And uh, this is the root understanding of holiness, to be set aside for the purposes of God. And when we began our lessons, we talked about Adam as he was created being perfectly set aside for the purposes of God. You and I, uh, growing in grace and in true knowledge, are more and more set aside for the purposes of God. And there are always tugs and strains and uh, uh, things that push on us from different directions. But more and more, uh, you and I are to be uh, set aside for the purposes of God. And one of the great ways that we are set aside for the purposes of God is in our worship together, our weekly worship as God's people. And the most visible way that the people of God are set aside uh, 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 in uh, public view, the most visible way that the people of God are set aside to God is in the gathering of God's people on the Lord's Day to worship together. And it's a great thing. It's a, I, I think it's a wonderful testimony when uh, uh, people drive by uh, the church building, and the church parking lot is packed. <laughs> and people know who drive by. Whoa! Uh, there's a bunch of people in there uh, today, uh, you see. And what are they doing? They've gathered together to worship the Lord. They're being set aside for the purposes of God. And more and more, uh, this is the case. Uh, true knowledge, holiness, and righteousness. Uh, uh, we are being taught and trained in righteousness to be able to judge justly. And, uh, of course, we talked about this with regard to Adam. All of us, in one way or another, are called upon to counsel others. And if you have children, you're continually in the process of counseling your children. Uh, if you're an elder in the church, you're called upon to counsel others in the church. And uh, so it goes. Uh, if you're in school, you wind up counseling uh, classmates and this sort of thing. It's, it's a wonderful prospect because more and more you are being trained in uh, true righteousness and the ability to judge justly. And uh, when this occurs, you see, things go well. And uh, this is all a part of sanctification. And so, uh, the question and answer again. Sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die to sin and live to righteousness. Notice how the catechism puts it. You are enabled to die more and more to sin and to live unto righteousness. Now, uh, we all know 
of the idea of the so-called besetting sin. And uh, I have questions about the idea of the besetting sin. On one hand, there's little doubt that within you and with me, I'll confess this, there are certain sins that are rooted and burrowed in deeply. And uh, especially for those of us, uh, I'll put it this way, who were converted later in life. There are sins that are uh, deeply rooted and burrowed in, and uh, they're difficult to extract. Uh, but the other hand, uh, on the other hand, the teaching of Scripture is you are enabled more and more to die to sin and to live unto righteousness. And part of the problem is that too often we live in a state of unbelief. We do not believe that God has so worked in us that we are in fact enabled to die more and more uh, to sin and to live more and more under righteousness. Now, I'm not saying that uh, uh, suddenly uh, uh, all those sins are going to dissipate and die away and uh, new things are going to come I I at the drop of a hat and at the click of the fingers. No, I'm not saying that that's the case. Uh, there are struggles and you have to work at some of these things. It's quite interesting, is it not, that uh, the Bible uh, speaks about uh, the idea of practice and uh, patience. Uh, uh, on one hand, those who practice sins will not inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, but those who practice righteousness, see, uh, it's another matter. And uh, how do you get... Uh, a, a new way of life worked into your heart. Oftentimes, it takes practice. It takes practice. If any of you, as youngsters, were involved in gymnastics, for example, uh, gymnastics takes a huge amount of skill and practice. And hours and hours and hours and hours uh, are uh, spent in practicing certain skills to get them down so that they come almost second-natured. And see, this is what has to happen to you and to me in righteousness. And so uh, the idea would be to practice righteousness and uh, master the skills. And it's not that you're going to be able to pat yourself on the back because what does Scripture teach us? We're enabled to do this. You say, what a wonderful thing that is. To be enabled to do uh, this sort of thing. To uh, more and more die to sin and to live unto righteousness. And so, uh, at this point, you see, I would challenge you a little bit to... Look over uh, your past life and think about uh, over a long period of time. 
Think about your life. Uh, have there not been changes that have occurred in your life over a period of time? That you can look back upon and say, thank you, Lord, that you've extricated me from this bad habit and I've formed this uh, new habit that's pleasing to you, that there have actually been changes that have occurred in your life. Now, some changes will occur uh, quickly. Uh, Other changes will occur slowly over a period of time. But you see, if you are genuinely born again and God has put a new, given you a new heart and a new inclination of heart, over a period of time, changes are occurring in your life. And how you deal in your family and how you deal with individuals at work and how you have dealt with people at school, all these things are changing for the better. And you ought to be able to look back and say to yourself, Thank you, Lord, for what has actually taken place in my life. So, sanctification. Question 36. Uh, What are the benefits which in this life do accompany or flow from justification, adoption, and sanctification? The benefits which in this life do accompany or flow from justification, adoption, and sanctification are assurance of God's love, peace of conscience, joy in the Holy Ghost, increase of grace, and perseverance therein to the end. Uh, uh, Let's run through these uh, texts quickly. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into His grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. You see, a peace of conscience, hope, joy, God's love has been poured out, uh, poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's love has been poured into your heart. How do you love one another? It's God's love which has been poured out into your heart. Uh, Romans uh, 14.17 For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Peace of heart. Difficult situations do arise. But we do not have to get all cranked around the flagpole. when the difficult situation comes. Step back. God gives perspective. Peace of heart, you see. Uh, What a wonderful thing. Uh, uh, The kingdom of God is not a matter of uh, eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. 
First uh, John 5.13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. I'm going to come back to this in, in just a moment. But the path of righteousness is like the light of dawn which shines brighter and brighter until the day. What is the path of the Christian, the path of righteousness? It's a path in which the grace of God shows brighter and brighter as life goes on. This is the promise of God. 1 Peter 1.5 Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You are being guarded by God in His grace so that you will be appropriately taken to the appointed end of your life and to the appointed glory that is reserved for you in heaven. This is God's persevering grace at work in your life. And God will complete the good work that He began in you. This is God's grace. Okay, now back to 1 John 5.13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Uh, uh, the great overriding purpose of 1 John, uh, this little letter of 1 John, is the matter of assurance. And uh, uh, look again at question 36. The benefits which in this life do accompany or flow from justification, adoption, and sanctification are assurance of God's love. Uh, I didn't realize this until I uh, began uh, to get into ministry more fully. Uh, but, but in my experience, there are more uh, individuals in the church who wrestle uh, with a, an assurance of their salvation than we would hope to realize. And uh, I think we need to be aware uh, that this is the case and encourage individuals in the work of God and in the work of God's grace in their lives. One of the overflows, if you will, one of the great benefits of uh, salvation, one of the great benefits that uh, comes with uh, justification, adoption, and sanctification is assurance of God's love. And uh, the Westminster Confession says that some individuals must uh, wrestle and fight long and hard before they come uh, to a real assurance of their salvation. And so, uh, be aware that this is the case. And if you're someone who uh, does wrestle with uh, the assurance of God's love, uh, let me put it this way. Uh, I spoke just a little bit ago about uh, our adopted grandchildren. Uh, and uh, my daughter, who has these adopted kids, uh, uh, works in a little school and has a little school in which she uh, seeks to help uh, children who have experienced trauma. And uh, it, it's trauma of all sorts. Trauma because they uh, were thrown into an orphanage as infants and never learned 
what it was to experience the love of a parent. Or children uh, that early in their uh, childhood were raped. And uh, uh, so that, that trauma is in the background. And children like this are very fearful and have often a very great difficulty bonding with parents in households where they're placed. And uh, they always are at a distance. And they're always fearful because they're afraid of opening themselves up uh, because they're going to get hurt once again uh, because they've been hurt so often. And uh, adults in their relationship with God are often in this category. They've been hurt and battered and uh, so often uh, put down uh, that uh, there's fear in their hearts and they lack uh, that ability often uh, to uh, embrace the love of God. And one of the things you and I can do, friends, is go to them and embrace them and love them and assure them that uh, we love them and in turn that this love that we have in their, in our hearts is the love of God to them and uh, work with them and help them and encourage them in the love of God that has been shed abroad. Uh, very important uh, aspect. And I believe uh, because of uh, the uh, devolution uh, of our culture and the way uh, the wars are expanding in the Middle East and uh, the way migrant populations are uh, coming across the oceans. We're going to see more and more of this kind of thing. And so it seems to me that we need to be aware of it. Assurance of God's love. See, it's very easy. And I know uh, this is the case. Uh, I'll get off preaching here if I'm not too, uh, too careful. Uh, 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 it's easy uh, for uh, ministers and elders to point the finger and to criticize. It's easy to do that. It's harder. It's harder to express the love of God in a very personal way to individuals in the congregation who need to experience that love and that embrace. And so, I want to encourage you more uh, in this direction. All right. Two more questions and answers. 37. What benefits do believers receive uh, from Christ at death? The souls of believers are at their death made perfect in holiness and do immediately pass into glory. And their bodies, being still united to Christ, do rest in their graves till the resurrection. Uh, dropping down to 2 Corinthians 5, uh, those texts there. For we know that if the tent that is in is our earthly home is destroyed, see, this tent, this body is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. We're going to be given a new body. Praise be unto God. Eternal in the heavens. So we always are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. 
And so what is death once again? Death is the separation of the soul from the body. And the teaching here is that the soul goes immediately into the presence of the Lord. Uh, yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. And so this separation of body and soul, uh, which is to come uh, for each of us. Philippians 1.23, I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. So the separation again of body and soul. And uh, Paul says this is far better uh, than being uh, in this world. Luke 23.43, And he said to me, Truly, truly, I say to you, Today you will be with me in paradise. So you see two things here. One is uh, the expectation of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, that He Himself uh, in uh, His Spirit will be uh, with the Father in paradise. The separation of His body and uh, soul or body and spirit. And then also the thief. When the thief dies, the separation of his body and soul. And uh, Jesus is saying, Today, since you have uh, reached out to me and trusted in me, you will be in paradise with me. What a wonderful prospect. See? To uh, be at home in the body is to be absent from the Lord in this respect. Uh, that if you're absent from the body, you are... Uh, with the Lord in heaven uh, is the idea. First uh, Thessalonians uh, 4.14 For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. And uh, I've gone with the New American Standard uh, translation here rather than the English uh, Standard Version. Uh, because of that uh, prepositional phrase uh, that is properly translated at the end of the text, in Jesus. In other words, when the believer dies, uh, you die united to Christ. In this life, as a Christian, you are united to Christ. When you die, you remain united to Christ. And the body is placed in the grave, it remains united to Christ. This is one of the great uh, truths of Scripture. That that body is not abandoned to the grave. Uh, you may remember that uh, phrase uh, from somewhere in the Bible. The body is not abandoned to the grave. It remains united to Christ. And you, separated uh, in your soul, uh, ascend into heaven. Uh, this is the teaching of the Bible. And that soul is made perfect in holiness as it ascends into heaven and encounters the presence of Jesus Christ. And uh, so the catechism uh, question again. The souls of believers are at their death made perfect in holiness 
and do immediately pass into glory, and their bodies being still united to Christ, see, there you go, still united to Christ, do rest in their graves till the resurrection. And uh, the whole idea of resting in the grave uh, is a euphemism for death, uh, a, a way of speaking well about uh, a, a hard concept, a euphemism. Uh, do rest in their graves to await the resurrection. And the uh, traditional uh, positioning of the graves in uh, cemeteries, although in modern cemeteries you don't see this observed uh, so much, uh, the traditional way of uh, positioning graves uh, would be uh, toward the rising sun uh, uh, with the hope of uh, the sun of righteousness coming to raise the dead. And uh, uh, that is the, the tradition, uh, the Christian tradition. And from this perspective, uh, the Christian tradition is burial. That we uh, place uh, carefully the bodies of our loved ones uh, in the grave in anticipation of the resurrection from the dead. Uh, more and more, uh, uh, cremation has become popular, uh, but we should understand that uh, cremation actually has pagan uh, roots and pagan implications, uh, that uh, the body is no more, and uh, we can, in a sense, discard uh, the body. Uh, this is not to say that uh, the power of uh, Christ in the resurrection is incapable of uh, raising from the dead those who have perished in fires or who have been lost at sea, or who have been lost in uh, mountain accidents uh, and these kinds of tragedies, or, for that matter, who have been cremated. Uh, but uh, the Christian way, it seems to me, is Christian burial and a celebration of the resurrection of the dead. And this is why we speak of the resurrection at Christian burials, because this is the Christian hope. It's not uh, simply uh, that we pass from this body uh, in our souls into heaven. Uh, that's a very good thing. But that is not uh, the end. And that is not the Christian hope. The Christian hope is the resurrection from the dead. And so we come to... Uh, question 38. What benefits do believers receive from Christ at the resurrection? Answer. At the resurrection, believers being raised up in glory shall be openly acknowledged and acquitted in the day of judgment and made perfectly blessed in the full enjoying of God to all eternity. Christ will come a second time in glory and the dead will be raised incorruptible. And we will be given new bodies. The Apostle Paul speaks of them as spiritual bodies. In other words, fit for the 
realm of heaven. We have earthly bodies now. Bodies that are fit for this existence in this world, on this earth. But we will be transformed and we will be given bodies that will be fit for the new realm of the new heavens and the new earth. And we will have an eternal bodily existence. At the resurrection, believers being raised up in glory shall be openly acknowledged and acquitted in the day of judgment. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in to the joy of your Lord. See, those are the great words to be anticipated by the Christian as he or she stands before the judgment seat of Christ. And notice how the catechism question ends. And made perfectly blessed in the full enjoying of God to all eternity. What is man's chief end? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And now, friends, we are brought full circle to that full enjoyment of God to all eternity. And when you think about it, how will you and I ever exhaust the pleasures we will have in understanding the grace of God and of understanding the work of Jesus Christ and of probing the depths of the wisdom of God? How will we ever exhaust these things? We will always be learning more and more and more to all eternity about the good things of the great God of heaven who has seen fit to draw us to himself. And we will be learning more and more ever to enjoy him. And as we do so, we will be learning ever more to give thanks to Him and to enjoy one another. What a wonderful prospect the great God of heaven has been pleased to give to the likes of you and me. Thank you, Lord, for this good grace.